episode of Haunted Tales from Suburbia. I'm your host, Cameron. Today, we'll be discussing some of the haunted history and stories surrounding the former Sybil Brand Institute, which is the primary women's jail in the state of California during the mid-1960s. It was located in the city of Terrace, a suburb of L.A. Later on, I'll also have a special guest who will share his personal encounter with one of the ghostly inhabitants that is still said be roaming the prison grounds and what that was like for him to experience. So let's jump right into today's haunted history and ghostly mystery. Civil Brand Institute was a minimum to maximum security women's correctional facility. It was named after the American philanthropist and women's civil rights activist Sybil Brand. Her mission was to improve the living conditions and policies within the women's prison system. With the jail itself, as stated earlier, was built in 1963, but ultimately closed its doors for good in 1997. This is partially due to the destruction caused by the Northridge earthquake three years earlier. The earthquake caused poor structural conditions due to its damage and was never truly fixed. At its time of operation, it housed over 2,800 female inmates. In fact, one of those inmates was none other than Susan Atkins whose confessions to a cellmate of the prison led to the arrest of Charles Manson and the Manson family. Another notable inmate was Susan McDougall of the Whitewater Scandal. After its closing, it was then briefly used as a film location for many popular TVs and movies. The film Blow, featuring Johnny Depp, spent five weeks shooting all over the prison. Other known productions include Arrest and Trial, Gangland, The X-Files, 24, The Movie Legally Blonde, America's Most Wanted, and Desperate Housewives, to name a few. Now, the prison ultimately closed its doors to filming and visitors completely in 2019, and records show that they're in the process of demolishing it, or potentially remodeling it. However, when, or if completed, it's unknown if it will reopen to the public or even for filming. That's some of the brief history. Now let's look into some of the paranormal mystery surrounding the prison since its official closure. Within the prison, there are several accounts of paranormal investigations that have taken place at this location since its closing, as well as stories from, let's say, other less prepared visitors. One story tells about a group of New York film students who are filming short video documentaries at the jail for film school. This took place over the course of a few days. At one point, they were allowed to walk around freely and explore. One of them traveled down to the basement that had at one point been flooded and was now home for bats, according to one report. While traveling down the basement stairs, the film student thought he saw a person or a shadowy figure, as he described it later. He said it went around the corner as he exited the stairwell at the bottom. Thinking it was another classmate, he called out to them. He said he heard several footsteps that seemed to echo, so he followed them. As he turned the corner, it was a dead end, with just old corroded pipes along the walls, and at his feet were dead rats. The rats had drowned from water that still occasionally flooded in the basement during heavy rains. Did he hear the sound of dripping? Perhaps not. He said he never returned to the basement and believes now that what he saw was a ghost and will never 
go back. Another story was that of a member of a production crew who at the time declined to be named was working upstairs in a solitary confinement area fussing with the ventilation system. It was a hot day and the abundance of lights and wires were only making it hotter. As he worked along alone, the crew member got the distinct and eerie impression it was being watched. Suddenly, despite the ambient heat, he felt a cold sensation crawl up his leg. Fingertips ruffled his hair gently. He became uneasy and forced himself to turn around. That's when he saw her. A lady in white, or rather, a girl in a hospital gown. He told an on-duty sheriff that she was thin, with pale skin, intense blue eyes, and chopped off black hair. Her feet were bare. He said he stared off at her for a minute, then walked away. Then she walked away. Upon hearing this tale, the sheriff replied, Oh wow, you saw Sally. The sheriff then proceeded to tell a story that during its operation, there was an inmate at the jail who received news that her parents were allowed to visit. She was excited by this news, only to be told hours later that her parents had died in a horrible car accident on the 405 freeway. She was later found dead, hanging in the women's shower by prison staff, presumably due to the earlier news of her parents' death. Soon after, stories began to be told by other employees and visitors that had their own encounters and run-ins with Sally too. One of those individuals, a special guest that I mentioned earlier, I now have with me retired Sheriff Sergeant with LA County who worked at the jail during his time of operation and had his own run-in with Sally that will be sharing with us today. I'd like to welcome to the podcast retired LA County Sheriff Raphael. Thank you, Cameron. Appreciate being invited to your podcast. My story is uh, not uh, unique as the stories you've told and the story that I heard when I was assigned to Civil Brand Institute. I got there as memory serves in the spring of 1993. There was another jail in uh, Los Angeles County, the Hall Justice Jail, that had been in operations for about 70 years. That jail ultimately was closed due to uh, structural problems and age, and so we were transferred to different uh, custody facilities throughout Los Angeles County to continue our careers. I was sent to Civil Brand Institute and uh, assigned to the night shift uh, primarily. I was there maybe five or six months. I was working the night shift and sometimes it's quiet. Uh, most everyone's asleep and my duties were to walk through the facility and check the dormitories, the housing areas and uh, inspect them and sign off on what we call the books for the uh, the deputies that were there and make sure that the facility was running and operating in a in the manner which uh, was supposed to be for that time of night uh, one particular night i was assigned to the one of the housing units to inspect and uh, i walked back through a series of corridors that led to what was called the receiving door this was an area where the inmates were initially brought after they were processed and then they would be placed in the housing areas based on the criteria that they had for housing, 
their level of, of uh, violence based on their crimes and past history. And, and uh, I walked into the housing area and I saw to my left, there were two holding cells. On one side, there was two females there. And on the other side was a lone female. Uh, light brown hair, maybe 20-ish, 30-ish. And they were obviously waiting to be housed. I knocked on the door. The uh, housing officer had to unlock it, security facility and everything, let me in. And uh, I looked over the uh, books, they say, asked questions about how the facility was doing, what was going on, and how many inmates she had in the, in the dormitory and stuff. And she answered my questions, and, and I looked at her and I said, hey, uh, when are you gonna house those three uh, ladies that, uh, that are sitting in the waiting cells? Um, how long have they been here? She looked right at me with a really quizzical look on her face and said, Sir, there's only two inmates in there. And I hadn't turned my back at the time. I was still talking to her and I said, Wow, I could have sworn when I walked in here, there was three of them. And I proceeded to describe them. One had blonde hair, 30-ish, sitting by herself. The other two both had brown hair and they were sitting next together on a bench in the other cell. And uh, she said, you might want to turn around. I said, okay. I turned around. The two ladies that I initially saw were still sitting there on the bench with their property. The other cell was empty. Oh, wow. Now, that kind of made my skin get a little goosebumps. Yeah, too. goosebumps, if you might say. And I said, okay there really was someone in that empty cell. And she looked at me and she goes, oh, you met Sally. The infamous Sally. Yes, and that's that was legendary. I'd heard about her and the story about how her demise came about, which was a sad ending for a young life. And uh, took my little inspection sheets with me and walked down that cold, breezy, semi-dark quarter and go that was interesting now had you heard about sally before that incident or i heard the other deputies that were working there talking about her and the sally sightings i just dismissed them as you know tales no building legends it's, yeah legends um, the lighting's bad even during the daylight hours at night it was worse because you had subdued lighting so the inmates could uh, could sleep and the dormitories was almost dark. Yet nightlights they call them. The hallways were adequately lit. So and there was stairwells. There like I said there was dormitories that had zigzag hallways to get to in different areas of the so yeah there was a, a lot of dark, interesting areas that you walk through there. I never thought much about it until that night. Now do they have mirrors in the cell? Could have been a reflection of the other inmates that were sitting no, the only mirrors were in the beauty shop that the ladies were able to use and utilize during their stay to kind of, it was a beautification type of project that Sybil Rand insisted on having there so the ladies would be able to lead a little bit more normal life, even though they were on the inside and incarcerated, and they were able to get their hair done and, and stuff like that. So they, they would be, you know, just 
feeling like a little bit more like they were not incarcerated. A little bit more normal. Exactly, a, a degree of normalcy, so. Now when you were there, were other prisoners mentioned Sally or did anyone ever say anything to you kind of off the cuff? Most of it was mentioned by the staff because the staff stays there longer. The prisoners were transitory. They were either in free trial, they hadn't completed their, their trials, or they were, uh, they were going through a trial period and those that had been sentenced and would be sent away to state prison or serve their, uh, their time in county jail. And so that the population was somewhat transitory. They were there long enough to really have that kind of experience, whereas the deputies be able to work there were there longer. Yes. Had a little bit more time to kind of build on that stories. Yeah, and you do have those stories that are passed on to you at just about every unit and old building, not only in LA County, but throughout the states and you know, everywhere else. Now, from that point, did you ever, after that incident, did you ever kind of look around the corner, think, oh, is she going to be there? Did you ever get any other uneasy feelings? No, you know, it was just one of those things where I know what I saw. I saw someone there, and there was no one there when I turned around just a couple of minutes later. And I just took it as a, it had to be a paranormal, you know, situation. And I wasn't really worried about it. I wasn't scared. You know, I, it's one of those things where, you know, they walk amongst us. And some souls never reach the other side, so apparently they're left to just wander the world until whenever. So perhaps that tragedy she experienced with her parents dying in a car crash kept her the one location where she still hired that news hoping they were still going to make it there? Well, that's that makes sense to me. Yeah, she wouldn't I'll, move on. I'll certainly buy that. Because it's, where else would she go? She That's the last place she essentially knew. I have no idea. I have no idea how yeah. souls make the transition from this world to another world. It's, beyond my pay grade, but uh, uh, certainly makes for interesting stories and conversations. Oh, definitely, and so many prisons have their own kind of stories and, and tales and legends, but Dasma actually was there, experienced it, and what, what year was this? What year would you say? Late 1993 or early 94. I was there for approximately 18 months, and most of the time, like I said, I was assigned to the night shift, so. Yeah, it was uh, always dark when I was there. So kind of right before that Northridge earthquake even uh, happened? Yes, because I was there when the Northridge earthquake happened. Oh, wow. That was a fascinating experience, too. So. Were you actually in the prison when it took yes. place? Yeah, the, the uh, Northridge earthquake occurred about 5.32 in the morning, I want to say. And we were relieved from our duties at 6 o'clock. So needless to say, we did not get off on time that day because there was a, a lockdown of the j entire jail, there was uh, uh, a perimeter check, an entire facility check to be conducted within 10 or 15 minutes so we could give a status report to the Emergency Operations Center right. in Los Angeles to what buildings had sustained damage and to what degree. So we could uh, uh, start making plans for uh, if we had to move inmates anywhere or if we had some places that uh, weren't uh, accessible to get to and rescue inmates out, that type of situation. Did you guys have to transfer them out of the jail into like, like a corridor or a different area if some parts were destroyed or crumbled? No, we didn't initially have to do any transferring because the, the, the facility had sustained 
a, a minor amount of damage, but uh, not to the point where it had to be closed right then and there and, and, and makes transferred out. Uh, so other places in the city, as you know, from the history of it to the west and to the north, had sustained severe amounts of damage, and they were the most uh, uh, damaged at the time, and so the priorities went to uh, uh, helping those those areas out. So. That's interesting. They usually say that uh, like an earthquake or something can stir up paranormal activity. So it's interesting it happened before. So along with your experiences with the Civil Brand Institute, outside of that prison, have you ever experienced anything else you consider paranormal, supernatural, or just you can't explain it? Well, yes. Uh, under the category of you can't explain this, I remember towards the end of my career working the San Dimas area. And once again, uh, I liked the night shift, and there I was driving around early in the morning, and uh, all of a sudden I see something out of the corner of my eye in front of me, can't tell what it is, and it looks like it might be a person running, and it looks like it might be some type of animal, I can't tell, it's dark, and even with the aid of my lights, it still seemed to be like eluding where I had eliminated with my vehicle. And I drove around the corner in between an alleyway with buildings on both sides, and it completely disappeared. Could have been a bird, could have been a hawk. I don't think so, but it was definitely something that I have no idea what it was. So it went down the alleyway and just vanished. Exactly, and there was two rows of buildings in that alleyway, and everything was closed down because it was the night, and it just vanished. That's that's wild. It couldn't have been like Batman or anything like that. It just disappeared. You know, it's one of those things where you go, I don't know what it was, but there was something there. Wow. And just left it at that. Well, thank you um, for sharing your stories with us today. It's very informative and just loved them. And it's kind of interesting to hear that they're very similar to tales other people have told too. So I want to thank you for your time today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I want to thank you guys for listening today and hearing the stories. It's always interesting to hear a first-hand account of someone that was actually present at a location. Civil Brand has a lot of history to it, and the sergeant shared with us a great story, one that I never heard before myself. To hear about someone walking to the prison and being kind of skeptic, and hearing and seeing what he described as Sally is amazing. As someone who loves the paranormal, I'm sure all you do out there as well, that's why you're listening, stories like that is what lead us to really want to uncover the truth, want us to find what goes bump in the night. And it's very interesting to know that the stories you hear from others are so similar. They all have their own twist. And prisons are always known to be a hotbed of activity, from the heaviness you feel to just being in a place that's not really a fun place. It only comes with its own element of sorrow, its own element of being trapped. And perhaps some of these souls are still there because it was the last place they remember. We'll never know. But I want to thank you for listening today. I hope you got a lot out of it. Enjoy the story, the haunted history, the paranormal mystery, 
And once again, happy hauntings. What is it?